0: Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1263 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Sunday evening into Monday. And today's show is brought to you by Online. BetOnline has you covered the season with more odds, props, and lines than ever before. Online, where the game starts. And today's podcast will be myself and myself talking about all kinds of little things. We've had some mailbag questions come in in the last week or two. Also some news to hit on at the top of the podcast, but wall-to-wall coverage of the NBA draft. As I sort of teased before, the draft is this week. Thursday evening is the draft. We're uh, we're officially there as I record this, uh, only a few days away. Plenty of rumblings out there, of course, that I've been touching on along the way, but the Hawks currently still have the same picks they've had the entire way, and I'm going to have my final thoughts later on in the week about the actual board as it is right now. But uh, between this podcast, that podcast, and also some some guests that are scheduled to join me in the near future. I'm not sure if I can guarantee how many or who they are at this point, but I have some, some things lined up for sure. And uh crunch time, as I would say in the NBA world, but please, Please, please subscribe to the podcast. Check us out across platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, Stitcher, also YouTube on the video side. And I've had plenty of great content in recent days. If you're just catching up now, because the draft's getting closer, I don't necessarily blame you, but please join us all the time. And as a reminder, we've had Glenn Willis on the show for a ton of player capsule series, deep dives talking about Capella and John Collins and DeAndre Hunter up and down the roster. Everybody except for Trey Young so far has been touched on with myself and Glenn. Also some draft coverage with guys like Ben Pfeiffer and Ricky O'Donnell. I had Brian Schroeder on the podcast last week with a two-part di- deep dive. I had Andrew Kelly on some trade stuff earlier in the process as well. All kinds of coverage. And please subscribe, catch up, and all that fun stuff right now. Um, as for today's podcast, um, a little bit of news here at the top of the, of the show. Uh, Chris Gent, old friend and long-tenured Hawks assistant, assistant coach, is going to be no longer on the Hawks staff, according to a report from Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN. Gent's going to join the Lakers staff under Darvin Ham. Of course, he was a former Hawks assistant. And as a sidebar, Lots of Hawks assistants under Budenholzer uh, have been uh, certainly getting jobs around the league. If you've been counting at home, that's, of course, you've got first. You have my, uh, Kenny Atkinson, Quinn Snyder, now Darvin Ham, Taylor Jenkins in Memphis is a former Hawks assistant. So it's been a very busy time for Hawks assistants, let's just say, always former Hawks assistants. At any rate, um, going to coach the Lakers alongside Darvin, He's, he was the longest standard guy from the Hawks. He was hired in 2017 in the summer, so that was still Budenholzer. When he was brought in, he was the holdover between Bud and Lloyd Pierce's staff and then also held over again between Pierce and McMillan. Uh, So all three coaches that he worked under um, in Atlanta also has a relationship with Darvin. They were on on the bench together under Bunholzer with the Hawks. And he has a relationship with LeBron James because uh, Gent was actually assistant coach in Cleveland when LeBron was still there. So lots of connections that kind of explain why he might go take this job. And uh, as a reminder, Gent was the lead assistant this last year for the Hawks. It was Melvin Hunt before that. But Then when he left, Gent was elevated to that number two role under McMillan. So uh, keep an eye on all that stuff. And the Hawks, of course, have an opening now to replace Gent. Obviously, assistant stuffs uh, often not till later on in the cycle. The Hawks didn't lose Garnett until the end of last cycle. But between Melvin Hunt and Marlon Garnett last year, Lots of turnover on the staff in the last couple of years, and uh, we'll be interested to see who they bring in in, replace, uh, in, sorry, in place of Chris Gent. But um, he's been credited with a lot of different stuff from the Hawks. Obviously, he got a lot of credit for John Collins' shooting development. He's been uh, instrumental on the offensive development side. He's been a great game plan guy for the Hawks in what experiences. And honestly, I've enjoyed my experiences with Chris Gent. We're not like close friends or anything, but I certainly think he's a competent, very smart, and a good guy from all accounts that I have heard and also experienced in person. So certainly a loss for the Hawks. I had a debate with someone uh, online and offline actually about like how much this actually matters. I'm not saying this is a huge deal. It's not like losing a player, but certainly quality system coaches are uh, notable in this league and they certainly have some real value. So jet as a longtime guy, uh, there's some stability there and the Hawks have to now uh, plug that hole. That's now been created with him leaving to go to Los Angeles. Okay. That's all of the news. Uh, and in fact, I'm kind of surprised by this, but there really has not been any, like, new, even, like, I, I'm not using the word rumors with any of this stuff, just to have no, no real rumblings on the Hawks front just yet on the trade side that's not already happened. Obviously, the Gobert stuff's still out there, the 208 stuff's still out there, et cetera, but nothing new in the last few days, so I'm going to breeze by a lot and uh, kind of answer some questions now on today's podcast. So, first question comes from Will, who asks, did you find the bet Lines odds disrespectful to the Hawks? And he says, I was surprised when I saw what you tweeted. So for some background to answer Will's question, our partners have been online released 2023 title odds a few days ago, and I shared them on Twitter. Um, I have to go ahead and give you a caveat that the offseason is basically hasn't hasn't even started yet. So at the same time, there is some projection in these numbers. Obviously, future odds are always projection. These are very early. Um, it seems like early and earlier the uh the books come up with the uh, interesting future odds here, but alas. Both like health stuff is still out there, transaction stuff still out there. And one example of this, by the way, is that the Clippers, who have not had their key guys, at least Quan Leonard, in quite a while, is actually in the they're actually in the top four in title lots, whereas the Suns finished number one in the league this year in the like season, and actually they're number six in the title odds because of DeAndre Ayton stuff and all that stuff. Chris Paul's age, et cetera. So as far as the Hawks are concerned, Atlanta is 66 to one to win the NBA title right now. For comparison's sake, Online included last year's preseason odds for all the teams in the same release they issued this year's odds. And last year, preseason the Hawks were number tw- were actually 28 to one. So this year their uh, odds are more than double as long before uh, the season starts, obviously not coming off the conference finals run. We'll kind of do that in some respects and a lot more uncertainty with the roster than there was a year ago, but the Hawks right now are behind seven teams in the Eastern conference and 17 teams overall in the NBA and Atlanta at six, six to one is the only team that has those odds, but 17 teams that are ahead of them in the odds to win the title. No other team has the same odds. Again, pretty modest. I can see why Hawks fans wouldn't like that necessarily. I got some reaction as a result of that, but the Hawks are behind the Celtics Nets, Bucks, Heat, Sixers, Bulls, and Raptors in that order among Eastern Conference teams and other teams the Hawks are listed behind It might be controversial in the West, like the Pelicans, the Jazz, the Tim and the T-Wolves are all ahead of the Hawks in terms of future-facing odds. Um, one thing I would not be taking this too seriously at this point as a flat-out projection, because it's always as a reminder, odds makers are trying to get money on these teams and kind of make these numbers most on their stuff projection in there as well, but they want to get team quality as well as action. the mix so keep that in mind always with with, with this kind of number and a lot can change if the hawks make a big move their numbers will probably change on some level and there's so much uncertainty now with how how much the hawks have been tied to different guys that that maybe that's baked in as well at the same time just a reminder the hawks were a play-in team this year and they basically are projected where they finished last year they were number eight in the playoffs they were number eight now in the eastern conference and the teams that are ahead of them were the teams that were ahead of them so keep all keep that all in mind as well I think the Hawks are better than than they were last year, even as constructed right now. I will say that again. The Hawks are better now on paper than they were last year, but they still lost those games last season. And I think that reflects that as well as they got kind of waxed in that playoff series by the Heat. So that's all kind of in the mix here as well. I'll be curious to see how all things move as the offseason arrives but this is not too crazy in my mind. I think the Hawks would be a little higher if it was me. Like I think they have a better chance of winning the title this year than the Pelicans do, for instance, um, maybe, maybe even like the wolves. I'm not sure oh, the bulls for sure. I'd, I'd probably pick the Hawks ahead of. but still, if they don't make a major overhaul, I'd be fascinated to see where these projections kind of land on the Hawks in a few weeks, because we get into like mid July when we see what the roster actually looks like. But at this point in time, nothing to be too worried about, but I want to at least touch on that since it was asked by a couple of people and a question from Will. Thank you for asking that question. Okay. Uh, in a, pro kind of transition here i'm gonna tell you about the folks at been online who i just talked about a little bit but the NBA season is actually over of course at but online and elsewhere but the fun never stops at bed online and there are plenty to focus on on the sports world at this point in time there was a major golf tournament that finished up on sunday and our partners at BetOnline Online have the number one source for all of your betting needs across the sports world. That's the latest odds, news, and developments, including the Stanley Cup finals, which are ongoing right now, majorly baseball stuff, odds, scores, et cetera. The latest fight stuff and futures. As I mentioned, as I mentioned a second ago, NBA futures are already out. NFL, college football, college basketball, all of that stuff and more at BetOnline. Online. At BetOnline, Online is your continued source for all the wagering information. That includes live betting and esports and poker and casino games and much more beyond that. And other sports that are always there at Bet Online if you're into like sort of more of the fringe outlets. Um, they have, of course, hockey's more prominent and golf is more prominent this weekend. They have tennis and auto racing and horse racing, soccer, cricket, entertainment bets, and all the sports that you can think of. It's probably at Bet Online if you want to check it out today. Head there right now on your mobile device or on your computer to learn more about all the trends and the action across the sports world. Betonline, where the game starts. Back to the bag now as we get some more questions to answer on the show. And the question that I'm going to answer now comes from A.B., who asks me to settle a bet between his friend and him. And the question is, is Clint Capella worth more now to the Hawks in a trade than what the Hawks paid for him? In a trade, And this question comes from listening to myself and Glenn, he says. So thanks for the inspiration. Thanks for the question. And I would definitely, again, plug the, the deep dive that I've been doing with Glenn on all these different players, including Capella. That was a fun one. I think we're higher than Capella than most people, and I definitely understand that. But I think we do a good job on, on that pod of talking about what he actually is as a player, positively and negatively at this point in time. But at any rate, the question is interesting because I think the Hawks got a very good value deal on the original trade to get Capella, which is basically getting him for a mid first round pick and some salary matching. Um, that's an appropriate deal. It was a good value when they did it and it worked out very well for the Hawks when that actually happened and beyond. So the short answer, I think the Hawks would be, would be doing probably similarly right now in terms of trade value when they actually traded for him, which I'm not sure if sells the debate that you are having with your friend, but I'm going to come back with more information in a second, kind of present that to you. Um, the extension is what is interesting here. So Capella would probably be worth more now than he was then, if not for the extension, but might be, maybe even with the extension. So it's $43 million in extra money for two years. It's not starting until after next season for Capella. On one hand, again, could actually add some value because a lot of teams um, value those good players that are locked up on long-term contracts with all of the movement that already always happens in the NBA – and part of the calculus in my mind and what I've actually heard about that was that it made Capella even more tradable long-term when they wanted to go ahead and move on from him at some point. On the other side, you could argue if you wanted to, the Capella's been a little bit banged up the last couple of years. He'll be 31 at the end of that deal. So a lot of miles on the tires may not be the greatest end of that extension in the world, potentially, if he's not the same player that he is now. But I think he's still worth that contract in a big way right now. In fact, right now he's underpaid for this year. He's actually going to make about $18 million for next season. He's worth much more than that right now. Uh, I would probably say something like $25 million range for Capella, maybe even a little bit higher than that based on his value the last two years. He's not a max guy, but he's probably in the next tier down of what he's actually worth. Um, and the two years after that is the are the real question here, whether he's worth the $20 million two years from now or the $22 million three years from now for Capella. So basically, if the Hawks were to move Capella by himself right now, I would expect a pretty similar deal in return to what they actually paid for him. So like a you know a first round pick and some filler salary or like a good starting caliber player with like a throw in alongside that. So it's kind of tough to do that in a vacuum, but that's kind of what he's worth at this point in time. So if I had to answer the question and settle the bet that I was asked to settle, I would say I would go with him being worth more now in a trade because he was hurt when he was actually acquired by the Hawks he's established now as uh, he's, I think two years ago was, was, was his best year of his career. He was all, he was awesome. And last year was pretty good as well, especially the second half of the season. He was really good. So I think he's been like a top 10 or 12 center in the league the last two years. And um, with less questions about the health and also the Rockets, people kind of forget this, but the Rockets were very, very desperate to trade him when they did because they were trying to pave the way for Russell Westbrook, which is kind of funny now in retrospect. But I think. Overall, it's pretty close to the same value, which is probably a good sign for the Hawks. you got two years of value from Capella. But uh, I think um, if I had to guess, I would say he has a little bit more value trade-wise than he used to have, uh, at least when he was acquired a couple of years ago. Okay, next question comes from a listener named D, who asks, "What the news about Jalen Johnson's injury, does that change anything when it comes to off-season plans? So if anybody missed this, Johnson had a non surgical procedure on his... Uh, Left knee for some tendonitis, and the Hawks announced that last week on the show. I just sort of like a bonus podcast about that and by and other things. Um, no timeline specifically on Johnson's return, but the Hawks are saying that he's expected to be back in full by training camp. So that's still like three months away, but that gives him time to ramp up. Summer league probably out the window for Johnson at this point in time. But provided all that is accurate and he's actually healthy when the season starts, I think it probably doesn't change much at all when it comes to the actual offseason plan for the Hawks. Now there could be some Hawks fans. I think I, in fact, I know that there are, that are already dreaming about Johnson being a starting four next year. Uh, that's not going to happen. I don't think in terms of like opening day, um, I think Johnson could be a starter long-term. I've been very high on that draft pick the entire way through. I love that draft, that draft value. I thought he looked good in the G league this year, for instance, but I think going into his second season with how little experience he has at the NBA level, you can't bank on Johnson on a team that's trying to win being your starter next year. Even if they were to move on from Collins, they have to replace him with more than just Johnson. Now, I think the Hawks weren't going to do that anyway, though, so keep that in mind. And uh, that kind of answers the question about how much is going to change the offseason plans. I think that maybe you want to bring a, a veteran in a little bit more urgently than you might have before. I think the Hawks were probably going to do that anyway, but I think Johnson's going to get a lot of playing time this year as a probably a backup to start with. Maybe he impresses a lot, but I think with everyone expecting Gallo to be gone, nothing guaranteed, but I think everyone to a man that I've heard from or talked to seems to think Gallo's not going to be back with the Hawks. Um, if they had to guess there's more likely to have some minutes there for Johnson at some point in time. And there's definitely a clear role behind those guys in the front court. But the interesting thing for me, again, it's kind of what kind of what you do around him at the four spot. If Collins is still here, then that he's obviously your starting four, and I'm not gonna get all that stuff again here on the Collins front. But I do think that if Collins, if Collins doesn't move, I wonder if they go with Johnson as like the primary backup four or if they give give another option to McMillan, like more of a fringy veteran type, like your Solomon Hill kind of guy, Um, maybe a little bit higher than that, even on the the totem pole. But I do think that Jalen should be, if he is healthy, carving out a role that's more definitive for next year. But in terms of the plan for the offseason, I think you kind of have to go in thinking he's the backup four. Rather than starting four, that probably doesn't change based on the injury or anything beyond that. Okay. Um, Next question comes from Cameron, who asks, uh, this is actually, this is kind of a funny question. Um, He says, this is not totally Hawks related, but can you explain to me why the Kings and Blazers are apparently looking to trade their draft picks? Is it a media thing or is it actually real? Um, I'll try to answer this now, and I will. Um, I generally, though, agree with the tone of the question that it's kind of weird in, in a vacuum to have two teams in the top seven of the NBA draft that are Actually, why they reported to be trying to trade those picks for present day help. That's kind of bizarre in nature. Um, I'll start with the Blazers, though, because it actually makes the least, a little bit more sense for me with Portland. It seems to be a situation where the Blazers are not ready to move on from Damian Lillard just yet. And he's actually a franchise icon. So I do, I do understand that he is the kind of player that like, he'll be in the Hall of Fame one day. And to keep him happy, I would not, uh, you know, I don't necessarily blame them for trying to be competitive after a disaster year last year. It's not the greatest thing in the world. It's probably not what I would do with the franchise, but Lillard's been good enough. Where it isn't completely insane to try to build a good, a good team around him, are they going to be a title contender? No, they're not. But they made a conference finals with with Lillard as the best player, and they have some guys on the roster with your Anthony Simons and your Josh Hartz and your Nurkic is a guy that can bring back for a pretty reasonable price, probably. So, um, and whoever they trade the pick for, if they were to go ahead and do that, um, still, I don't know why you would do that. Personally, I would personally not do that if I was the Blazers. I'll probably just draft somebody and try to build for the future. But that's not where they are at this point. It seems um, on the King side, it's the Kings being the kings i think sacramento's not been in the playoffs since i was a sophomore in college which uh that's a long time i'm not a young man anymore and i think that present day talent wise they do have some players with the aaron fox and harrison barnes and Sabonis, but they're clearly not ready to compete this year and it's kind of crazy to me for them to be shopping that pick for future facing help uh, sorry for present facing help um especially because this draft is kind of a top four kind of tier not everyone agrees, agrees with that but i think generally speaking it's seen as a top four in some order where there's, there's probably a pretty big gap after the top four. That's definitely how I see it in terms of my overall value proposition on, on this draft. So keep that in mind as I evaluate this, but at seven with Portland, that's an area of the draft, that I don't necessarily love. So that makes it a little bit easier for Portland to go ahead and move off that pick at four. You're going to get one of those top four guys, no matter what happens. Now you could say that Jaden Ivey, it's not a great fit with what you have for the Kings. Like if you have De'Aaron Fox and you still believe in him, maybe on Mitchell, et cetera, that's not a great fit. But I think personally for me, it's not enough to scare me off of drafting Jaden Ivey. And also you could just trade. Uh, if that happens if, if that happens on draft night, maybe you just take them anyway and just kind of build with him anyway. I think you just go, best player available. You're, you're the Kings. You're not anywhere close to being competitive anyway. So um, for me, Blazers, I kind of get it. Kings, I absolutely do not get it. And hopefully that answers your question, but at least try to give you both sides on both teams. Okay, last question I'm going to answer on today's podcast, probably a little bit shorter episode, so my apologies on that, but alas, we're getting up and sort of ramping into things, and uh, it's a Sunday into Monday, et cetera. Um, question comes from Sebastian, who says, is there a deal that you would actually do with the Blazers for John Collins? I find myself agreeing with you, with listening to your podcast with a, with a Portland guy, and I didn't think you said a deal that you would actually do in real life. So, if you've heard this podcast already, ignore this part. But if you've not heard it just yet, I actually talked to Mike Richmond of Lockdown Blazers and dropped that in my feed uh, over the weekend. Mike asked me to come on, so it's it's him hosting. It's more Portland focused, but I talked about John Collins and like what I see about John Collins as a player. It's some of the rumblings there. I give some insight on John and sort of the value proposition. We got into all that stuff. So not to spoil the whole thing, but Mike was asking about the construction around. Number seven for Collins and basically using Eric Bledsoe as the salary filler in that deal. And that personally is something that I would not be interested in doing, which is something I did say on that show. I was candid with him. I don't love that construction overall. And Bledsoe um, is part of the reason why. So I alluded to this, but there is some potential with the Blazers, I think, if you are just dead set on trading Collins. For me, though, it has to include Josh Hart. So I personally value Collins a little bit more than number seven overall in this draft. And that informs some of my thinking because number seven is a pretty flat range for me in this draft. I'm not sure how much better that pick is than like 9, 10, 11 in this class. But keep that in mind. So through that lens, I, I would not do the Collins for seven archetype in a vacuum anyway. And Eric Bledsoe is strongly negative salary. Now he's not a useless player, but he's not worth what he's making now. And you have to make that deal, um, make him basically guaranteed in order to make that trade one for one in terms of salary matching purposes. So that deal, so his presence makes the deal worse. So if I already would not do Collins. For seven, as I would not, I think it's fairly close. I'm not going to say you're crazy for doing that, just to be just for the record. I said i on that show with Mike as well. But when you throw in Bledsoe, that becomes a bad deal in terms of a value proposition because Bledsoe has negative salary. So, as I say this, the Blazers do have to ma- do have to actually match salary in the deal. So that's why Bledsoe might be in the deal. But if that happens, for me, Portland's got to throw something else in that has some value, whether it's a future pick or not as Little or something like that. Somebody's got to sweeten the pot a little bit for the Hawks. The other way to do that. Is to have josh hart who makes about 13 million dollars this year be the matching salary in the deal now i am pretty high on josh hart and i think he's like a, i think he's a starting level player honestly on a good contract so i would definitely help the hawks but the blazers as we, as we talked about with mike probably don't want to include him if they, if they don't have to because he's going to help them this year but he is not negative salary in the way that bledsoe is and i think he's not like overwhelmingly positive salary either. he's he's good salary in my mind but nothing crazy in terms of value for what he's actually worth so the real way to get me interested at all in a Collins blazer swap. Personally, if I'm evaluating the deal would be to get seven and Hart in the deal. Um, Even if the Hawks had to include something smaller alongside Collins, whether it's like a second rounder or two or something like that, um, that is kind of fair in my mind. Now would the blazers do that, I kind of think probably not, um, which is kind of why I think this is not a deal that I would probably be involved with. But if I'm the Hawks, my first offer is probably something like if I'm doing this, by the way, that's a huge caveat would be like Collins and a second round pick for uh, seven and Josh Hart or Collins and something else small, maybe maybe at the absolute most, the Charlotte pick um, I would not do seven and 16 for Hart and number seven because the uh, 16 this year has more value than the Charlotte pick does for one. That's a pick that's now that you know is 16 with Charlotte's pick. The best it can possibly ever be is 15. There's no like, upside. I mean, if it's a future facing pick, Oftentimes you want to hold out and aim for value, but that that pick never becomes less than lottery protected. So that pick is going to have to be 15 or worse. Um, This year's 16th pick has more value than that pick in my mind. So I think the absolute most I would possibly do in a deal for Collins to the Blazers, this is me again talking, would be Collins and the Charlotte pick for seven and Hart. I still would not be like over the moon about that, but that's a reasonable fair deal that I would do probably if I, if I was just deciding that Collins had to be off my team, which I have I not decided that But alas, that's some uh, interesting context there. So if you want me to find a deal, that's the one for me. I don't think Mike would have done that on the blazer side. So again, that's kind of one of those, like I, I had to be holding kind of things because again, I think seven and Collins have similar value. I would lean to Collins there. I know people would lead to seven. I, I do kind of understand that on both sides, but just keep in mind, I know I get accused of probably overweighting some of this stuff, but Eric Bledsoe, as salary matching is a negative. That's a strong negative, and that matters. Even in a one-season sample, with the Hawks up against the luxury tax, that even matters even more. So you're not even saving money in that scenario, at least in the short term. Keep, keep that all in mind as we're going through all this stuff. But again, I'm a little bit higher on Collins and probably a little bit lower on number seven than people are in this class, and that probably informs my thinking on this front. Okay, that'll be it for today's podcast. Definitely shorter than usual on the show today, and my apologies for that, but we're going to have much more in the future. I'm going to give my full thoughts on the class as a whole um, at the end of the week probably like wednesday unless the hawks trade their pick before then <laughs> which might happen i guess um but something along those lines about like who i'm valuing at 16 probably my mini board in that range maybe some trade up candidates trade down candidates i will sort of use this as a spoiler there to think that i actually i'm kind of a fan of trading down in some, uh, some respects in this class people don't necessarily love that in this draft but um, other possibilities that might arise in the next couple of days i'm sure there'll be some rumors out there between sunday night when i'm recording this and thursday night when the draft actually kicks off so please stay tuned for all that stuff, please subscribe to the podcast wherever you like to find your podcast at this point in time. And with all that said, we'll see you next time.